It's not often you meet someone who during the course of a party can make you laugh hysterically before making you and everyone else in the room cry during a beautiful musical performance. Today's guest, Sophie, is just that person. Over the short period of time that we've known each other, we've often delved into some deep and personal conversation whilst the party continues to ebb and flow around us. Sophie is a talented singer, musician, chef, host, partner, friend, and the list goes on. When I mentioned that I was doing this podcast to my girlfriend recently, her response was, when I think of Sophie, I think of how her voice reduced me to tears and how special she is. I have a massive girl crush on her. So as well as being my friend, I can now call you my competition. Welcome to the podcast, Sophie, and welcome to my house. Thank you. So thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. Not at all. As I was saying just before, your, your story is, is unique uh, and sensitive because over the course of this podcast, I've sat and talked with a great deal of, of friends, all of whom have lost not just a parent, but specifically a dad. Uh, as a result, I've discussed in great detail the relationships children share with their fathers. Yours, however, is, is of course different. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at first your sister, who you lost very young, and then shortly followed by, by your mum. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to sort of paint a picture of your life, before and after these these losses. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah. You are like me, Scottish, proudly. I am indeed. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your about your life growing up over there. I have grown up in Scotland in a place called Glen Eagles, mm-hmm. which is in Perthshire, um, which the Aussies find very confusing that I have Perth sure. as my passport birthplace. Yeah. I am one of three, I'm the youngest. My parents, Hamish and Joanna, um, my dad was in the army. Um, he actually had left the army by the time I was born, thankfully, because it meant we didn't have to move all over the country. Yeah. He owns his own construction business. I have learnt how what to say because for years I didn't know what to say. He imports hardwood from Denmark to build footbridges. Okay. <laughs> it's a niche. It's a real niche. Um, my mum, she was an interior designer. She owned her own business. She actually had a shop which was in this tiny little cottage next door to our home. So she sold materials and uh, wallpaper um, and advised people on what materials to have and where in their house. Um, She then owned her own interior design company um, and she did up quite a lot of big hotels like Glen Eagles, which is a five-star hotel. Right. Then my sisters, my elder sister, um, Henrietta, who who died when I was quite young, um, she was really into drama. I'm quite similar to her in the way that I like to make people laugh. She had a very infectious character. She was going to go to Middlesex Uni to study drama. Mm-hmm. Um, then my other sister, Rowena, she is now, I've almost lost track of her age, which is awful. I think she's 30, she'll kill me for saying this, 30, I think she's 35, yeah. she's got two young boys, Lockie and Geordie, um, she lives Such in London, Scottish names for yeah, they are, good, yeah. Lachlan and Geordie, and they all live in London, she's happily married, she also owns her own company, she's a real businesswoman, yeah. also a super mum, which I hope to be one day. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so what's the age difference between all, all three of you? So, Henrietta and Rowena, there was 18 months between them. Yep. They were very close in age. Then me, I came quite a bit later. Not sure I was a planned baby. Sure. So, between Henrietta and I, there were 
eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then Rowena and I, it's nearly seven. So were all of you close growing up or were they like a, a, a sort of best friend unit of a very similar age and took care of you like a, like a younger sibling very much? Was it that dynamic? Not really, no. So when I was little, I got on really, really well with Henrietta, who was the eldest. Mm-hmm. She was a very motherly character. She really, really kind of liked spending time with me. Anyway, she was the protector. <laughs> Rowena and I did not get on. We argued the whole time. She found me really annoying. I aspired to be her, be like her, which she found really irritating. Yeah, yeah, you followed her around. Yeah, Yeah. and just, it was constantly silly games, like me being the sort of little prisoner. Rowena would be the evil witch and Henrietta would be the fairy trying to save me. It was constantly <laughs> that kind of dynamic. Right. So what I, what I like to try and do with this podcast is try and... Because there's so much to unpack and so many different topics to talk about. What I'd like to try and do is, is freeze time. So we can effectively talk about Henrietta first mm-hmm. and then we'll move on to talk about your mum. So if we could freeze time shortly after Henrietta passed away. Mm-hmm. So you said she was about to go to uni, so how old was she, 17, 18? She was 20, actually. Um, so 20. she was someone who was very dyslexic mm-hmm. and dyspraxic, of which I am actually both. Mm-hmm. Um, but hers were of quite a serious degree. She really struggled at school. And she actually went back a year because she almost needed to be firstly retake the year but also her school friends in her year were not very nice to her right um so she really really struggled actually through school and she was desperate to get into drama school she applied again and again and again so during that time she was on a gap year um so she applied for all the drama schools it was repeated disappointment which was so sad she even did i think performances with um the national youth Scottish National Youth Theatre. Yeah. So she was doing really well. I just, I, I don't know. I think she was maybe trying too hard with it. I don't know, just not the right time. Anyway, she did really well in her A-levels, which was a miracle because <laughs> she really struggled with exams. And because of that, as well as doing as much performing as she could during that time, she was trying to get into drama school. She got a place at Middlesex Uni, which... Uh, it's meant to be really good for drama. She was going to do theatre studies, I think joint with something else, I can't remember what that was, but yeah, all her stuff was packed, everything was packed, and it's actually, she died two days before my birthday, which is always a little bit shit. Mm. So... Which birthday would that have been then? That was my 11th birthday. No, I'm wrong. 12th birthday. (laughs) So, she died when I was... Just uh, two days before my 12th birthday. Yeah. Um, so she, to give you a bit of context, she'd done a big birthday party for me. And as I was saying before, my mum did up the rooms at Glen Eagles Hotel. We actually had a membership there, which looking back on it, I did not appreciate how great it was. They had, they had spa, swimming pool, aged 10, yeah. 11. This is just having the wrong time in your life. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Trying to go into the sauna and stay in there for half an hour because yeah. my mum was in there. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> had this birthday party. Um, I saw my sister the night before. 
I didn't see her the next morning and I was putting everything away because all my friends had stayed and she went swimming at Glen Eagles <clears throat> and my mum had seen her at the hotel and she said I'll see you back at home yeah. and it was during that time uh, from my mum saying bye to her that the accident happened. How, how far is it from the hotel to your, to your house? It is because the roads are quite windy, it takes about 20 minutes, but in mileage, it's probably only about eight miles. Yeah. Um, so a tractor was parked on her side of the road. Um, and she, as I was saying before, she, because of her dyslexia, not to be stereotypical, but it, <clears throat> I think a lot of it was to do with that. They're not thinking. She didn't really think about speed. She didn't really, her reactions were, and actually a lot of this I've only learnt since she passed away, her reactions to things weren't what the um, majority of people's would be. Yeah. So she didn't have a seatbelt on. She didn't think to stop. This is what they've said. Um, and I think she just overtook the tractor. No one was in the tractor, but she mm. just overtook it. And there was a car coming the other way. And it was fatal. Mm. Um, but it was a bit of a, it was awful for my mum especially actually because she had said, I'll see you back at home. It's the same, you can take a different route, but we always take the same route. It's just habit. Yeah. And mum was coming that way. There was like a police diverted sign, but mum being mum, probably the most stubborn woman you would ever meet. She went, oh, screw that. I'm not going to take the other route and go all the way back, which really is not that far. Yeah. And she just drove past it um, and she saw the car and a policewoman came and said, sorry, ma madam, you've got to go back. And my mum said, I'm pretty sure that's my car. Mm. The policewoman said, can you tell me the name of the person? And that was when she confirmed that she died in the accident. So I think that was something, as I'm sure we'll come on to, was a bit of a nightmare for mum and her yeah. health in the years to come after that. What is your memory of that day? I've heard, speaking to a lot of people who either have a very, very vivid memory of often quite weird things that happen on, on, on the day and really seemingly insignificant things become a very sort of powerful memory or some people just have blockages and they don't really remember anything that happened that day or for the next few weeks. Mm. What, what do you remember of that day? Of that day, I remember very, very specific moments. I remember being told. I remember exactly what I was doing. And so I was in my room. One of my friends had bought me one of those material lan um, lanterns, had like mirrors and stuff on it. And I was trying to put it onto the ceiling. God knows how I thought it was going to stay up there. I had this, the biggest ball of blue tack <laughs> ruining the ceiling. Anyway, just as I was trying to put it up, mum came in and she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, hold on, I'm just, I'm just trying to put this up. Anyway, in that exact moment, I pulled off a huge chunk of the ceiling. Yeah. So that mark was constantly, that was there for like 10 years. Oh. Anyway, she said, I really need to speak to you. And anyway, I obviously could tell she was quite distressed. And she said, I need you to sit down. And she said, pause. I remember her trying to like not cry about what she was going to say. She said, I need to tell you something. It's really quite, it's awful news. And I'd never had any awful news in my life at this point. 
So in all honesty, nothing prepares you for when something like this happens. Yeah. Um, and I remember her telling me and she said, Henriette has died. I don't can't remember what I said, but I remember everything slightly freezing. It was the words, it was like someone speaking underwater to you. It, you can't quite hear what's being said, or at least you're not taking it in. Mm. She said, again, Henrietta's died. She's been killed in a car accident. And I don't really remember what came after that. I remember bits of the rest of the day, but I remember being extremely shocked and I could not take in what I was hearing. Yeah. Then... I think what came next was, I obviously was crying my eyes out about it, even though I didn't quite, I just couldn't really understand it. I remember her saying she needed to call my other sister Rowena, and I remember walking down the stairs, so our front stairs, the windows out the back, which is where the majority of cars tend to park, and I saw the police car so at that moment, I did think, okay, this is real. Yeah. Then we went into the kitchen and my mum, so my other sister, Rowena, she was on a cookery course, mm -hmm. which is the same one Henrietta did. It's called The Grange and it's in Somerset. Yeah. Um, we went into the kitchen and she called, I think she called one of my sister's friends actually. Um, and I remember her saying, I need you to be there for Rowena when I tell her what I'm about to tell her. It's really important that you're with her. And again, it was the same thing. Henrietta's died, she's in a, been in a car accident. And then I just remember mum was crying a lot. I mean, she cried for weeks, for months after that. But then following that, I'm pretty sure we went for a walk. And I remember her asking me how I felt. How do you feel? How do you feel? And I just couldn't. I remember feeling a little bit claustrophobic about being asked how I felt. Because yeah. when you're... I feel when you're a child, you don't really overthink what you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah. You don't really think, how, I, how do I feel? No, you don't really think how you feel. Because you don't have the, the sort of maturity to read into it or try and understand it it just is what it is mm. anyway a friend that has been forever a close friend someone who you'll know well or relatively well katie stoppard mm -hmm. um her family have been a huge part of this kind of life journey with us and i remember mum saying to me later that afternoon what would you like to do do you want to be at home or do you want to go to katie's and when I think back to that moment, I'm just in awe that I've, that was my, my impulse decision was I want to go to Katie's because yeah. that's where I felt comfortable. I didn't want to be um, constantly asked how I felt. I wanted to go somewhere that was, in my mind, fun, somewhere that was normal, somewhere mm. that would make me kind of not think about yeah. it in a way. Did that feeling last for a long time, rather than it was being that specific day. Did you know being in your family environment in the house where Henrietta lived give you that feeling of, of um, you know, feeling restricted or imposed upon them? Yeah, it did actually. And 
a lot of the weeks after that have to say numb, like they're blank, yeah. which I have been told is a is a normal response to trauma. Mm. Your your brain blocks out chunks of time, yeah. which now being a bit older, I actually find very frustrating. I constantly, well, not constantly, but I've gone through moments in my life desperately trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm. Because um, I want to remember how I felt, but again, that's that child kind of trauma reaction. How do you find that the relationship with Rowena changed? You know, that you've gone from having two sisters to one, that was the one that you clashed with, you know, growing yeah. up. Did you feel that you sort of dumped all of that sisterly love that you had onto each other? Or did it, you know, bring you apart? Or were you able to sort of consult each other? You both had the shared. Now, she's the only person in the world you can talk to yeah. who's also lost their sister, mm. you know, Henrietta. From what I can remember, to be honest, a lot of it stayed the same. Mm. I think I felt really lost that I had didn't have the sister that I kind of could relate to a little bit more at that time. Yeah. Um, I was actually quite scared of Rowena when I was younger just because we were quite different people then and I was a lot younger you know and yeah. Henrietta was a lot more of a softer sister I mean my Marina would easily agree with that so I don't feel bad saying that yeah. um but no not much change because I was at boarding school so majority of my time was spent at school yeah actually going back to the point you said did I how, like, how did I feel about being restricted? So I was quite a naughty child. I was always pushing the boundaries. I was always, I liked to break rules. I was just that kind of character. Mm-hmm. Anyway, during that time before the funeral, I did some very weird things. <laughs> I, so I've got an old cousin and we were, our nicknames were Bonnie and Clyde. We were just total menaces as my dad mm-hmm. called us. Anyway, all our all my family were at the house, which is why he was staying. Um, and we went and bought, I don't know where this came from, it's so weird, but we went and bought balloons and it was almost like subconsciously I needed to take the anger out on something. I didn't know, I was someone who never could talk about my emotions, mm-hmm. even as, from that age, just never. I would, I would get quite angry. And looking back on it, I think this is what was going on. So we went and bought these balloons. Um, I went and found some paint in our playroom. We filled up the balloons with paint and water. So we made paint bombs. We live across the field from this farmer who absolutely hated us. Yeah. Specifically I'm beginning me. to understand why. Yeah. yeah. Specifically me, because I would always take our dog into the field and basically encourage her to chase the sheep. Right. So farmer and I, from very young age, had this very, very sort of dysfunctional relationship. So my cousin and I got a wheelbarrow, filled it with these paint bombs, trekked quite far across two fields, over to where she had her hay bales all wrapped up against this barn. And we stood at the top and freaking fired all these paint bombs all over her shed. I mean, I thought you were going to say the sheep. Okay. Oh no, that that would have actually probably oh, that would be cruel to you, really, wouldn't it? But that, yeah, that. Wow, that's. That would probably be harder to wash off. 
I love stories like that because I always think, what do kids get up to when you live in the middle of apparently nowhere in Scotland or wherever it might be? What do you do? Oh Making paint bombs and painting someone's shed is you run, makes a lot you of sense. Run wild. <laughs> yeah. Or like me, you have imaginary friends because none of your friends live near you. Yeah, just a forty-five <laughs> minute drive. For yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How? So you said yeah, you weren't, you weren't a great talker or, or emotional sharer um, at that age so how did you find going back to school you know how did the school treat you you know if, if you're effectively not opening up did they treat you differently did your, did your schoolmates treat you differently or did you just try and give off a perception that let's just pretend nothing happens and, and, and move on and not delve into it too mm-hmm. much I think um being trying to act as normal live a normal life was easiest for me. Mm-hmm. I was at an all-girls school, which was, it sadly closed down now, probably because I closed it down. <laughs> closed down the year I was leaving. Um, I probably just closed it down. <laughs> throwing Did you paint bombs? Something <laughs> making the floor to the place. Um, I was really relieved to get back to school. It was a very outdoorsy school. I would say the matron hates me. She really hates me. <laughs> She definitely changed, which I found very unnerving. I didn't like it. I sort of yeah. thought, go back to hating me. Stop being nice. It was a, a false kindness. Yeah. Right. Um, but I could see teachers were looking out for me. But friends, I think that's the joy, really, of when you're younger. Children just kind of... They gloss over it which when you're that age you do kind of need you Mm. need normality because you've had something that's far from normality and being able to live a normal sort of outdoorsy life with friends was a real blessing for me actually so I didn't notice that much of a difference I did have the occasional meltdown um, which I do remember but you're sort of your mind, your concentration when you're that young is so short, the concentration span that you're off onto something else. I think because I was also coming to the last couple of years of my prep school life, there was just a lot going on really that I didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. What about your relationship with your with your parents? Do you find that you know what role did they play in helping you through your grief or what role did you play in helping them through theirs at that time? In all honesty, this is where the mind blanks this come in. Bit, yeah. yeah. So there's big chunks of it. I remember being confused as to why mum would cry all the time. It was like I'd forgot it was odd. It was yeah. like I'd just had forgotten. Don't get me wrong, I had not forgotten what happened and I would always think about Henrietta, but I have to say the older you get, the more you think about it. At that age, I just, I think it was such a trauma that things just froze for yeah. me a little bit. Um, and actually, mum had been ill before Henrietta died. Right. So she went into remission. So she first had cancer when I was nine. Henrietta died when I was 11. Were you old enough? when you were nine to understand what that meant? No, no. So just mum's sick, all right, whatever, she'll be, she'll be I knew okay. That it was, I knew that it was cancer, Yeah. 
But I I remember bits, like I remember going to visit her while she was having chemo once or twice. But I do feel from Henrietta dying, a lot of those years of when I was nine are a blur. Mm. Like I don't remember what was going on. And in all honesty, my parents really sheltered me from the truth. Yeah. Which I don't know if I have, I don't know what my opinion is because I've gone through different opinions, but I feel like I've come out the other side thinking your parents only do what they feel is right at the time. Yeah. And you can never say, you can never, this is just how I feel. You, I don't feel I can be one to judge on how you should deal with it because you only do what you think's right. So you can't retrospectively look back and go, that was right or wrong. Cause yeah. It was right wrong. yeah, that's what I think. One of the things that my mum's always talk to me about is that one of the tricky things about losing someone young is that they are effectively stuck at that age you know Henrietta is always 20 mm. and you've got older you're now older than Henrietta was and you know as you've sort of matured and grown she's stuck at 20 mm. and I'm, I'm sure you know obviously later losing your mum maybe that was less of a thing because your mum's always just this old woman mm. whereas Henrietta was more of a sort of young adult to you have you found that difficult you know have you found that you're always thinking of of her in the space of a 20 year old rather than oh you know now she'd be this age and you know now would she have kids yeah definitely my dad actually said when i had my 21st birthday he said i now think of henrietta as the youngest which i never will forget because i thought god that's quite that i actually the first thought i had was god that must be hard for you because Losing a child is, I mean, I could never imagine it. It's a different, it's a, it's a different kind of loss. It yeah. really is because they're not meant to die before you. Mm. But in many ways, yeah, I, I have found that hard. I've found always wondering what she'd be doing, who she'd be married to, if she'd be married. It's always these questions of stages I've got to, you know, sort of, it was really once I'd left school that those those started because she got to that stage of leaving school but she didn't get any further. Yeah. You know, what would have become of her... Middlesex uni. Yeah. Or, yeah. How would she have got on? Would she still be doing drama? She, she was someone who was very um, open. I remember so many things about her which now I'm so grateful for. When I was a bit younger, a few years ago, I, was, I found it really difficult feeling like I didn't know her. It was like, I only got to know her as well as I could at the time. But actually, the more I've spoken to people about her as I've got older and a bit more open about talking about it all, um, I've realised I actually really did know her quite well. Mm -hmm. So this is one example. I knew that she was desperate to be in that TV programme, The Bill. Right, yeah. I don't even know if The Bill's still going. I think so. It's the start of everyone's acting career, isn't it? Yeah, but we loved it at home. And she really wanted to be... Uh, radio one presenter mm-hmm. so at all these things I kind of think you know she would have been so good at them and and actually I, I do sometimes go through stages of feeling quite angry because you think she's someone who almost was defined too much by her school achievements because that's all you have at the time mm-hmm. a lot of people don't do well at school they really struggle and actually, she was just getting to a stage when she was going to do good. Like, she was an amazing 
friend, she was an amazing sister, she was someone who made people laugh, she was going to do great things and I often think, God, what would you be doing now? Or would we be, like it would just be nice to have yeah. that person to chat to, I suppose. And then shortly after she passed, well, how, well actually, how, how long was the gap between her passing away and, yeah, so you say your mum went into remission mm. and then obviously the cancer came back. How long was, was, was that gap? So mum went into remission, I can't, it must have been probably a year after she'd first been diagnosed. Yeah. Then Henrietta died in September 2002. Mum, then her cancer came back early the next, no, the following year. Because I remember we were on holiday. We've got a house near the Isle of Skye, which is where my dad grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a really special place. We go there every year. We've always had family holidays there. So a lot of great memories. Um, And we, I remember, this was the first... They actually the start of Romeo and I getting a little bit closer. We started to communicate a bit more. So it took about a year. About a year. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Jumping around. No, no, no. So yeah, no, it um, took a year to, for you and her to reconnect or yeah. reach that emotional depth. And I remember us discussing. So mum, she just seemed very quiet on holiday. So this is a year after, just under a year of Henrietta passing away. She seemed really quiet. I had noticed it. But, as per usual, I kept my thoughts to myself because... You were 12. 12, yeah, (laughs) very true. Um, And I didn't really discuss emotions with anyone. Um, And I remember Rowena saying to me, we were on a beach, and Mum just looked really... She looked like she was in pain. She kept clutching her back as well. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, Whereas Rowena did, I think. She was 18... No... 19 by this point Mm. so her mum had a bit more of a well she was in her teens so their relationship was quite different and she said to me have you noticed mum's been really quiet and I said yeah I have we'd not had a conversation like that before and we sort of ummed and ahed about it a bit and just were a bit we both were a bit concerned anyway it turned out that dad had noticed it was all a bit of a topic underneath the scenes um, and then she was yet to have tests which were to come probably like a couple of weeks after that mm. and then they discovered that it was secondary cancer so primary cancer is where it originally is and the secondary cancer is where it spread Spent to, to. Right. so it had spread to her liver her lymph glands it was everywhere it was everywhere and I mean, my parents kept it very quiet for me that this was all going on, as in the waiting for the test results. I'd noticed a lot of odd things. I'd noticed just them giving looks at each other or the odd uh, sentence said here and there. Yeah. And I did think, what's going on? But again, didn't really read into it. I remember coming back from school. I think I'd gone back to school and I was on half term or maybe back for a weekend, I think. And I remember dad coming up to my room and he just said, I need you to know that mum's cancer's come back. But I sort of didn't just, I just didn't know 
didn't understand what that was. Mm. I knew the words. I knew that it was a disease. I knew that people could die from it, but I didn't know. I was almost too scared to ask. Yeah. It's sort of, you know that it's bad, but you don't quite know how bad it is. So you can compartmentalise it as mum's sick, you can't deal with mum could die. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably a mixture of the fact that we were a family who didn't really go into depth about, I mean, we'd had a lot of shit in the last, in the year before that, so we didn't really talk about things. And I think, again, this is me going back to the, to saying that my parents were only doing what they could at the time. Mm. So explaining something, when I, in a way, was the, the nearest to normality they had, not knowing, me being in the oblivion was a blessing yeah. for them because it's like I would come back and just talk about myself, talk about school, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. a complete distraction for them. Do you remember feeling at all when her cancer got worse and she ended up passing away? feeling of how has this happened again or mm. why why has this happened to me why is, none of my school friends have been through anything like this you know how could this happen to me twice was there you know more a sense of anger the second time it happened yeah know? yeah i would say that there definitely was it was a lot of it was confusing for me because i thought i felt like i really stuck out like a sore thumb in a way, I mean, losing one person in your family, a sister especially, actually, it was pretty bad because that it is quite unusual. A parent is from cancer, I suppose, is a little bit more normal, mm-hmm. but it's a real... The person who's bringing you up, it does... You, you feel like you lose half your family, in yeah. a way. I'm not saying that losing my sister, it didn't feel like that, it's just different. You know, you don't have that motherly figure to, to take you through the next stages. Like I was just finishing prep school. Yeah. I was definitely angry and I just didn't understand why all of this was happening. It just, and I couldn't, just death didn't make sense to me. Mm. I found it very, very hard to understand that someone could be there and then someone couldn't. And it really terrified me. I found it really scary. Did you find any specific differences between dealing with the loss of a sister in comparison to the loss of a mum? Or was it just that fact that that's your maternal, she's the woman bringing me up, you know, I've lost this leader? Mm. Is that was that the main difference, or were there were there other sort of no? They were they were so so different. Yeah, I mean, my sister that was a real no preparation, no. I mean, she was alive hours. I saw her hours before it happened, and then suddenly she's gone. That that was really hard to understand. Whereas mum, I saw even though the the deterioration was pretty quick I mean it was six months from her diagnosis um, her secondary cancer diagnosis to her dying it was very very quick but having said that there was a noticeable difference in how she looked in sort of her memory on things her mobility 
Um, and I, that was terrifying to watch, actually. I have gone through phases of feeling pretty guilty because when she started to look really unwell, she didn't actually really look like herself. Mm. She lost all her hair, so she wore a wig, which wasn't the bad part. It's when other stuff starts to change. You know, the skin goes yellow. Um, it goes very sallow. She just didn't look like my mum, and actually was really quite scared of her. Mm. And there was a, I have a vivid memory of... Um, us, I think my sister and I were home for some reason. Can't remember why, but um, my mum got quite, I mean, she was clutching at strings. She was clutching at straws, desperate to fight it. She was a fighter to the, literally the day she died. She was determined. She just thought, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she honestly thought, fuck you, you will not fucking kill me mm. she tried every avenue i mean different diets she got into quite a lot of alternative medicines one of which uh was this guy who in all honesty he was a massive fraud right <laughs> and he was a kind of energy guy i just remember feeling really uncomfortable because he was at the house and I think it all just got too much. Mm. This random guy was sitting across from me, across from me. Mum really wanted us to chat to him and kind of try and understand his method. But obviously, you're not very open-minded when you're that age. You sort of think, who are you, strange man? You're in my house. Um, and then mum sitting across from me, not looking like she ever has done, and I just found it all too much. That was actually a real slight breaking point for me I mm. remember being really really freaked out by the whole thing so the two to compare them were really really different and it was at the end that that was pretty terrifying because you I did see her at death's door pretty much yeah. and that's quite it was quite scarring for me to deal with for a few years after that you touched on it earlier that I guess one of the the fortunate things about this happening to you at such a young age is that kids just get on with life. Mm. You know, you just somehow adapt and move on in a way, but being older, you're more aware of what's going on and, and feel it more. Is part of you grateful that it happened at that age? And do you think that you would have reacted or sort of lived your life differently had it happened when you were older? Mm. So, I... I don't know if I would say I'm grateful that it happened at that age. I think I appreciate... One thing I would appreciate is that I have the experience to be understanding to other people that I have gone through it or are yet to go through mm. it. I feel like it's learned, I have learned a lot and it's changed me to think how different I would be. But I suppose in a way... Uh, it has crossed my mind quite a lot. How would I, how would I react if it happened now? How mm. would I react if it happened a few years ago? You know, what, what would I kind of, what my reaction be? So I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. I think you really do only know what you know. You only react mm. with the life experience you've got at the time. Um, but I suppose, in a way, 
I appreciate that I was quite young to and also having an older sister to be alongside me through the years to come I have thought about that a lot but I mean it definitely I've found it pretty hard as I've got older I've, I've actually found the can of worms has been opened because yeah. of me being so young I was going to ask if that if that grief effectively evolved over time that you you know you say you didn't talk about it and you shut down emotionally at the time and mm. as you've grown older and have you know emotionally grown up and sort of realized the effects of it probably long term mm. have you found that that griefing has has changed and probably come in in waves later on in your life that you didn't experience it when you when you were so young yeah absolutely grief is something that is like a roller coaster it it changes throughout your life. I've definitely become a lot more emotional. I've always been quite a sensitive person. I think some would probably say, i.e. my sister, right. <laughs> a bit over oversensitive. But yeah, it's, it's definitely changed. And actually, I have gone through, especially in my 20s, I found my 20s really, really difficult. Um, uni was a really tough one for me. Because um, I didn't have that routine of school to hide behind. Yeah. I didn't have, I wasn't surrounded by people who knew me really, really well. I had to start from scratch. I found starting friendships from scratch really hard. Because the first couple of questions people ask you is like, oh, so tell me about your family. Yeah. And you sort of, I just remember thinking, oh my God, no, I don't want to talk about this. Um, do, you, do you open up about that? Or do you think I'm going to get to know someone for a while until I sort of, open that can of worms you know it's changed do you, do you actively a lot, dodge those questions to start with before delving in are you okay to say it i think i'm i'm better at just saying it but also at the same time i like to slightly suss out a character because mm. i don't always feel the need to invest emotionally in someone yeah um i also felt when i was younger that it slightly defined me a little bit I felt like the emotional baggage was a big part of me, mm-hmm. which, whereas now I would say, never let stuff define you. You are you for your own reasons, not for the shit that's happened. So, in a way, I quite like getting to know someone a bit first before delving into yeah. other stuff about my past. So, yeah. I'm convinced that we get better at helping out our friends or loved ones through grief, the older we get. That's sort of the reason I'm doing this podcast is to sort of figure out how we can help out people going through experiences like this. And you're particularly good to talk about it because you went through it young and like you said earlier, you feel you're well equipped to, to give advice to anyone going through it now. Have you found that your, so your friends at the time, you know, they would have been 11 and then 13 or 14, probably didn't know exactly how to treat you or, or whether or not to talk about it or not have you found that your friends or those friends even have sort of matured as you've matured and have been able to ask those questions or or figure out ways to help you as you've grown up with them mm. I'd say a real mixture I have to say because because I wasn't much of a talker um, when I went to my next school my senior school I actually went through a majority of school even with some of my best friends not discussing it. Yeah. It was only until I got to uni um, 
and actually London, when I slightly started to fall apart at times over it, that it, the conversation would start. Um, you would start it or they would start it? It actually came f- a mixture. I think they could see that I was struggling a, a little bit with with life, with happiness, and, and a kind of honest conversation would come up. And actually someone once told me, it was a therapist that I saw in London, she said, and it's one of the best pieces of advice I was given, it was, friends will, they'll never understand your vulnerability, they'll never be able to connect with you on it unless you share mm-hmm. about it, they can't read your mind, and they can't be there for you as a friend if you don't allow them to be there as a friend. Yeah. And it was a real kind of click moment, and I thought, my God, why have I never thought of this and I it was a real change for me in a lot of my friendships and I think for them too Um, and it's made me a much stronger person I feel I can actually engage in honest conversations Um, is that the piece of advice you you give to people who come to you and say I would and even for those who haven't necessarily lost parents you know I think for anyone in life it's Vulnerability is a completely honourable thing to do. It's it's that is bravery. Mm-hmm. Not saying anything. I always thought being brave was always having a smile on my face, always being cheery and putting on a mask because that's ultimately what it felt like every day. Yeah. Um, putting on a mask every day, which looking back on it, it's exhausting. You sort of think. To get through every day when deep down you're thinking all these things and feeling quite crap about the situation you're in. And you've got no, you've got great friends that you could share stuff with, but you don't let them in. That's, you know, you can't, you can't really get anywhere with friendships. You can't expect people to understand or be there for you unless you let them in. So I think for those that, to have lost parents or maybe parents ill or any family member or anyone in their life I think it's definitely a piece of advice I would give is learn to be vulnerable it's okay to be vulnerable it's actually it'll help in the long run if you allow people in and just sort of be honest with how you're feeling be kind to yourself don't bully yourself into thinking don't be so pathetic. Other people have had worse than me. And if you're, if you are someone whose best friend is going through this grief, and who aren't in a place where they're ready to open up, what can you do? You know, what if they're not willing to talk about it? Is there any little things that anyone did to you or for you that that helped? You know, if you go, okay, if you don't want to talk, let's do this. Mm. So I. I feel like some people do get very panicked when friends or uh, they're trying to help people through grief, understandably, because it's a very, very difficult thing. But in all honesty, I often find that a sense of normality is the most, is one of the biggest gifts. Not doing grand gestures, just saying, oh, do you want to go for a coffee? Just 
being there as a friend. Mm. You don't need to constantly ask, how are you, how are you, how are you? It's just bringing a sense of normality to their life because the shit that's going on around them is far from normal. And actually, if you're there in, in a sort of in normality as you would for a friend that's not going through something, they, you'll have that connection that they will go to you when they need you for something. They'll know that they can be vulnerable around you because you're not tiptoeing around them. You're not making a bigger deal. That makes people shut away. Um, so it's basically act normal, but but let them know when they're ready. Yeah, let's, just let's allow them time. Because time often is a healer. You know, I don't think my dad properly began to even grieve for probably, they say the average is six years. I might have got that figure What, until you even begin to... They say it can take people... begin dealing with it until... Begin dealing with really, it. Yeah. Maybe I've just plucked that figure out somewhere. Sounds but legit. <laughs> I, I honestly do think that that's a thing. Like my, my dad actually jumped into a new relationship three months after my mum died. Really? And... That is quite, it's quite a common thing for men, especially, apparently. Yeah. Um, when it wasn't till quite a few years, few years later that he actually was able to kind of talk about it. And not even that, you could just sense him being happy again. It's sort of, I, I, you could see a shift in him kind of taking life by the balls again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just enjoying life. Because ultimately, grief is so hard. It's, it's something that you, you don't just go through for a period of your life. You are going through stages of it throughout the rest of your life. Exactly. And some days will be good, others day, other days won't be. And that's just something you have to kind of appreciate and respect. Yeah. There's one thing actually a lot of people I've spoken to about have recommended that you know there's certain days that will always be bad mother's day mm. your mum your sister's birthday your birthday christmas mm. you know your wedding day all of these days are days when you're going to be thinking about your family and those are the days when you need your friends and those that love you to be there mm. you know even if it's just a text or a letter or whatever just hey i know today's mother's day thinking of you can go can go a long way um, but we've got time. Just one last question, and I want to end this with with something very positive, mm -hmm. which is that can you tell us about how you have used what, on the surface of it, is is a is a terrible situation of losing the two people you love, you know, most in a lot of ways, and combined it with your with your skill set, notably music, mm -hmm. and you've used these these two things to sort of organise fundraising nights and, and raise money for charity. So, so tell us mm -hmm. briefly about those nights what they've meant to you and and, and what you've organized and, and, and built there yeah so charity actually was a big part in helping me grieve i've actually done quite a lot of different charity events so the first one i did was for macmillan nurses so that was the organization that um, looked after my mum which was ill i did a 10k run and a bake sale and then I also co-directed a play, which I think was pretty awful. <laughs> but it raised lots of money. That was for Break, the road safety charity. Uh, so that was in memory of my sister. Yeah. 
And then when I left school and I was at uni, I ran the London Marathon in memory of my sister again for break. She, this is another thing, me saying or worrying when I was younger that I didn't know her very well. Um, this is a very specific memory. I remember her saying, I'm going to run the London Marathon. She never said what year, she just said, I'm going to, I think she said, I'm going to run it before I'm 30. Mm. Um, and obviously she never got to do that. So from really the age of 12, after she died, I'd had it in my mind that I was going to do it. Um, so that was in 2012. So it was 12 years after she died. Yeah. Um, it was also the London Olympics that year and the I Jubilee. Did, as well, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What time did you get? Well, I'm going to. <laughs> it's not important. Um, we completed it. Red exactly. That's important. Not competitive. No. And that, yeah, that was for a break. Quite funny when obviously people don't know your story and they ask, "Oh, what are you running for?" They obviously suspect, suspect, expect, um, cancer research or one of the big, yeah. the big uh, charities that's publicised a lot. And then I say break road safety. The amount of sort of raised eyebrows or why would you do it for them? I'd get. Yeah. Um, so that was always quite amusing. And then the what a shocking question to ask. I know. Why are you doing it for that charity? You'd always think. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. People know not to ask. Yeah, exactly. Running for charity. Exactly. Go on. And then the the biggest one I did actually was uh, a music um, event. That was about four years ago now. Um, that was for um, a children's cancer um, charity. And that was in memory of my mum and sister, actually. Mm -hmm. And I managed to raise, I think it was just over £11,000 for them. So that involves a concert, and it was all planned for months and months and months. Um, And I had a guest appearance with a band. Actually, they were an acapella acapella group, Mm -hmm. all male. And it was a great night, it really was. And that, for me... I found that quite emotional because I felt like I was joining the two people that meant a lot to me together. Yeah. Whereas I'd done a lot of separate things for them. And did you perform that night? Yeah, I did yeah. the whole concert. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did the whole concert and I recorded it. I got a speaker from the charity. Mm-hmm. I keep saying the charity because I've actually completely forgotten the name. <laughs> it will come back to me. We'll cut that out. I have it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Take that out. <laughs> Yeah, so the charity's name um, is Click Sergeant. They're an amazing charity. It's offering support to families and children um, who are experiencing um, terminal cancer. Um, and it's from ages all the way up to 24, I think it is. Um, and they provide these beautiful homes that families can stay in whilst their um, child is having treatment. Um, and they offer all sorts of different support. And I I felt it was um, a charity that both my sister and mum would really, really support. That was actually a massive thought process behind the choice of the charity because obviously mum experiencing cancer... Um, my sister actually did raise money when my mum was first ill. Um, she did a paras- parachute jump to my parents' absolute hatred for uh, breast cancer research. Um, so she was a big charity 
um, fundraiser as well. And my mum used to donate uh, money every year to cancer charities as well. So it's very, um, really, really great charity to support. I had, so I had it in a, a church in Pimlico. Really, really gorgeous church. And my aim originally, I think, was to sell something like 150 tickets. Anyway, I sold over 300. Oh my God. It completely sold out. And we had drinks afterwards. It was just a great event. Um, I also had a choir that I was singing with perform and I did a solo with them. So it was like a real kind of accumulation of mm. different things. Um, and I spoke at the end, which I'd actually done a lot of practice on because it was quite kind of personal stuff. Yeah, it must have been more nerve-wracking than playing. Yeah. yeah. And, God, it's a lot of it's all coming back to me. It's quite nice talking about it. The The girl that did the flowers I was actually at school with, she's an amazing florist. Um, and my favourite flower is a sunflower because my mum used to call Henrietta a sunflower. Mm-hmm. She's like a ray of sunshine that comes into the room. Yeah. Um, we have a CD made in memory of her that was called The Sunflower. Anyway, the f- church was filled with sunflowers. So I, for me, sunflowers always represent both my mum and my sister. Um, and it was just so nice seeing all of this come together and feel, I, I really felt like it was a, a true tribute to them as a pair. Yeah. It's quite easy to, two step, very different uh, events that happened from them dying. And I'd never really done anything uh, that was in memory of them both. So it was it was really, really special. Yeah. Oh, that's a really lovely way to end it, really, this inspiring story, showing off your skills and talent. Uh, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for... Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thank you for sharing all those stories. It's been a very nice chat with a glass of wine. Yeah, it's been a nice evening. You've gone <laughs> off and get, get beautified, huh? <laughs> thank you.